This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Wednesday, March 29th. The shooter killed six people and still had plenty of guns left over. We start here. The investigation into a school shooting reveals a string of weapons purchases, all of them legal. Was there anything that could have been done to stop someone from buying seven guns at five different locations? The new details impacting the gun debate. Authorities agreed it would be safer to house migrants in Mexico than that housing caught fire. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and really a lot of fear again in another border town. Dozens of people are dead. We'll take you to Juarez. And Donald Trump hasn't been arrested no matter what the internet tells you. Wait a second, where are the safeguards here? How are you making sure these are not misused? What happens when fake photos can even fool the fact checkers? From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. In the wake of mass shootings in this country, there's a familiar pattern. We have got to recognize that weapons of war are too prevalent in our streets. Gun control advocates say once again this is a sign that guns need to be more tightly regulated in this country, while gun rights groups say banning guns doesn't do anything. Legal firearms, they say, aren't the problem. And I think ultimately I think what this does is highlight uh, some of the mental health issues, the mental health crisis we have in this country. But when you look at the 10 deadliest shootings in the history of this country, from the concert shooting in Las Vegas to the Pulse nightclub in Orlando to churches and schools, each of those 10 shootings were carried out with legally purchased firearms arms and ammunition. Lots of ammunition. Authorities say the suspect shot through a door at the Covenant School, a private Christian school. Someone that had multiple rounds of ammunition prepared for a confrontation with law enforcement. This week, when three nine-year-olds were gunned down at a Nashville elementary school along with three more adults, police immediately investigated the weapons. It turns out there were a lot of them, all purchased Legally. So once again, the question will be, if this case matches the patterns we've seen so many times, is there anything else to be examined here but the laws around guns? ABC's Alex Perez has been talking to everyone connected with this shooting. He's in Nashville now. Alex, first off, you've been spending more time around the school. I mean, what has it been like there in the 24 hours since? These incidents are always devastating, but particularly devastating when we're talking about Three children, each nine years old, killed in this attack. This community is not only focusing on the three staff members that were killed, but especially focusing on those three young kids. A world that does not take refuge in violence. We've seen so many parents, um, so many families come out here outside the school just to pay their respects. We woke up this morning and we were like, we want to do more than just look at social media and look at all these posts that are being made. Just to stop and pause for a moment and sort of hug their kids because they are imagining, you know, what this could be if it happened to them. It's going to be something I never forget. And these parents, I cannot even 
put myself in their shoes and even be able to get out of bed. You know, I, I just don't understand. Well, and we've really essentially been able to now see inside the school at the time of the shooting. And, you know, a warning here to listeners that some of this audio from police is extremely disturbing. But, Alex, I mean, what have we learned about how this unfolded? So authorities released two body camera videos. Those are the body camera videos of the two officers that fired their weapons and took out the suspect. Um, the kids are all locked down, but we have two kids that we don't know where they are. Okay. Okay. It's hard to describe how nerve-wracking that video is. Let's go! The school alarm is blaring in the background um, because an active shooter uh, protocol has been uh, put into place. Keep pushing! Go! And you see the officers going through the entire school looking for the shooter. Shots fired, shots fired, shots fired, move. And we now know they ended up locating the shooter on the second floor uh, of the school building. The shooter, according to authorities, was actually uh, at a window and had been firing at arriving officers at their police cruisers from the second floor down outside into the parking lot. Stop moving! Stop moving! You hear them yell, put down the gun, don't move, and it appears that doesn't happen, and they quickly uh, fire their weapons, and the shooter is killed. The other, I guess, discovery once the shooter was disabled was the guns that the shooter was carrying and also just the amount of weaponry that the shooter had purchased previously to this, right? What, what do we know about the, the sort of arsenal that was acquired here? Yeah, an, an arsenal, an eye-popping amount of weapons uh, were discovered. We've interviewed the parents of uh, Audrey Hale, and we've determined uh, that Audrey bought seven firearms. Authorities uh, determined through their investigation that the shooter had actually purchased seven guns in five different locations, legally purchased all of those weapons here in the state. Uh, three of those weapons were used yesterday uh, during this horrific tragedy. And we know from uh, authorities that the shooter's parents say uh, the shooter was being treated by a doctor for an emotional disorder. If it had been reported, there's not a law for that, but had it been reported that she was suicidal or that she was going to kill someone and had been made known to us, then we would have tried to uh, to get those weapons. But as it stands, we had absolutely uh, no idea. And of course, that has now renewed the conversation about uh, gun reform, gun laws. And was there anything that could have been done to stop someone from buying seven guns at five different locations? This is not hyperbole. As a nation, we owe these families more than our prayers. We owe them action. We saw President Biden come out and, and demand that Congress act um, to, to change gun laws. But at this point, there's no indication that that's going to actually happen. Well, and you actually spoke to people who knew the attacker, right? And remember, we talked yesterday about how the shooter was assigned female at birth, then more recently identified as trans, was, we think, maybe using he and him pronouns. That's what it looked like on social media. A lot of people close to the shooter continue to call this person she, and that's you know what we hear in a lot of these interviews. But more importantly, were these people saying that they expected this person to go out and commit a massacre? Yeah, uh, you know, authorities identified the shooter as Audrey Hale. And so we talked to people who knew... Audrey Hale, who have known Audrey Hale for a very long time, and all of them 
had the same reaction. They were in shock. Just the big shock. It was a big shock to accept. It was um, it's heart-wrenching, honestly. One friend who knew the shooter since uh, junior high uh, tells me that recently uh, the shooter had started to complain about uh, bouts with depression. And what happens on social media? More of a venting. It's a vent. Venting far as something, depression, that depression taking over. But uh, something like this, an attack of this caliber, is something that never occurred to any of the people who were close to Hale. Yeah, now we're seeing the fallout around Nashville. Uh, Alex Perez, they were in Tennessee. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Next up on Start Here, they fled danger, survived a harrowing journey, but it was being trapped in the detention center that killed them, a humanitarian tragedy in Mexico. After the break. We all know there are things in life you got to compromise on. Like when I want burritos, but my wife wants salad, the compromise is we get salads. But when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who doesn't take the time to really hear your health concerns or who's in a rush to end your appointments. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc dot com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours. But the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. There was one major part of immigration policy where Donald Trump might have gained traction. It was this, the idea that if someone is fleeing from their country and claiming asylum, they shouldn't get to be picky about which country they end up in. Since taking office, President Biden has arguably backed him up on this, saying if a migrant passes through Honduras, and Guatemala and Mexico on their way to the U.S., perhaps they should have to wait in those countries or apply for asylum there before they keep going. Do not. Do not just show up at the border. 
Stay where you are and apply legally from there. Mexico has actually started detaining more migrants the way the U.S. does. But yesterday, we learned one of those detention facilities in Mexico had a major fire that has killed at least 40 people. ABC's Maria Villarreal went straight to the scene in Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. She is back in Texas now in El Paso, just on the other side of the border. Maria, what happened? You know, as far as we know, uh, this fire happened late Monday night. The efforts to put out the flames took several hours. People worked through the morning to get, you know, victims evacuated. Um, it's still very unclear exactly how this started. Una protesta que ellos, eh... You know, if you listen to the Mexican government, they are saying that migrants that were in this facility, this detention location, uh, which is a government location, um, that they were frustrated knowing that they were going to be deported. And so they themselves put mattresses up against some of the walls and lit them on fire, not realizing what sort of turn this could potentially take and that it could be fatal. Um, If you talk to, though, the migrants that are still standing outside that building today, they are very upset and do not believe that this was at all the fault of the people inside, but rather the government who wasn't properly watching them and watching what was happening inside. Um, There's video right now that is leaking out showing um, the evacuation of some of the females that were inside, but the, the smoke filling the rooms of the men's side of the area and nobody going to help them. So it is a very um, tense situation. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and really a lot of fear again in another border town. Yeah, and I'm wondering where most of these people were from that died, and I guess what the conditions are like in a, a Juarez detention facility. So, as far as we know, a lot of the people that were inside the facility, just as a whole, uh, were from Latin America. Um, but we are hearing from people on the ground that that predominantly we are talking about men from Venezuela who were the victims of the fire. Um, but what is really difficult for the people that are standing outside, you know, hours after what happened um, while the investigation is ongoing is the government has told them, we don't know why you're standing out here. We're not going to give you any information. In fact, it could be up to a week, if not more, before we're able to release anything. Wow. And I mean, for the last several years, one of the questions in the U.S. has been, you know, where do you keep migrants as their fates are being decided, as their asylum claims are being processed? If the answer was maybe keep them in Mexico, I mean, does this complicate that conversation now? Oh, this has been years of complication. Um, And I think that this is just one big example uh, of what could happen if governments and, for that matter, immigration um, systems aren't talking. Because, you know, here you have the U.S. saying we're going to send people back to Mexico to eventually get repatriated or go back to their home countries. Um, but 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 you know what, if you want to wait in Mexico until you get your asylum, you know, um, appointment, um, then you can wait there, you know, and, and we'll just see what happens. It's a very complicated system that we have put in place. The people who were waiting outside, dozens of them waiting for information, didn't even know anybody that was inside the detention facility. They were out there trying to say, this could be us. You are making us wait to ask for asylum. We are doing what you ask and waiting in Mexico. Then the Mexican government is turning around and picking us up, scooping us up, putting them, putting us in these detention facilities um, that, that are clearly not meant to be a refuge for migrants um, and then deporting us, you know, anyway, without us giving getting the opportunity to ask for asylum. There's a lot coming out here that is very telling of where we are 
uh, with our immigration system. And, and really, it's a broken system. It has been for a while. And, you know, the new administration is attempting to put new policies and procedures in place, including, for example, an app that should allow you to request an asylum appointment. If they apply and their application is approved, they can use the same app, the CBP-1 app, to present at a port of entry and be able to work in the United States legally for two years. The problem is, as we're standing there listening to everybody talk about what's happening, about the fire, they're also showing us on their phones the app just basically um, processing and never getting anyone an appointment. Oh, it's kind of just like like they're just sitting yes. there waiting for this app yes. to work and it, not, nothing's happening. Many of them say it crashes on a daily basis. That in turn means that we have to stay in Mexico longer, that we have to face these dangerous conditions and in some cases get picked up, put in a detention facility for not having our proper paperwork in hand. Right as we were standing outside this facility, this man kind of pulled me aside very quietly and said, hey, do you know anything? Do you have any information? His family's here. Him and his four children are here. They're waiting. He was desperate, you could tell. And I, I said, do you, did you know someone inside? He said, yeah, I did. My brother. My brother was picked up because we've been working here in Mexico. We came here from Nicaragua. We've been here for, we've been on the journey for five months, but here in Mexico for over a month, waiting to try and get an appointment to request asylum. And we've been working. We have to. We have a family. We have kids to support. You know, my brother was picked up. He didn't have the proper paperwork to be working. At least that's what the police told him when they were picking him up. He went into the facility. He said, and I was able to talk to him for a few days. He said, but the last time I spoke to him was Monday at about noon. And you could just tell this man was just holding back every tear, every emotion that he had in him um, to try and explain everything that he could about his brother to me. It's a really difficult situation when you're on the border covering things like this because you just realize that people are extremely desperate to just request asylum in the U.S. We're not even talking about living, working, you know, having a family, a life. We're just talking about getting... Just to get to the point where you're like, hey, maybe they'll let me, let me, let me make my case. Yeah, just a maybe, and that this is what happens. There's a huge fear from a lot of the people that that, you, that we, we spoke with that, that this is just the tip of the iceberg, that these things will continue to happen and more people will die. Unreal. Uh, uh, Maria Villarreal, uh, just back from Juarez, right across the border now in El Paso. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, grab my hand, take a deep breath, and enter the world of deep fakes. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. 
Former President Donald Trump has predicted he's going to be indicted as part of a criminal probe into hush money payments made during his original presidential campaign. He, of course, has no control over if or when a grand jury would indict him, and sources now tell us the Manhattan grand jury won't make any decisions until next week at the earliest. So why are there photos out there of him getting arrested? They show Donald Trump on the steps um, in front of a courtroom with a dozen police officers handling him and trying to tackle him to the ground. That's ABC's Emmanuel Saliba, who basically uncovers fake stuff for a living. I focus on misinformation, disinformation, lies on the Internet. She says right now we are witnessing a quantum leap in doctored photos. So last week, you had the series of fake photos purporting to be of Trump. They were the invention of this guy named Elliot Higgins, who runs a prominent tech investigation firm. And he was basically playing with how well he could portray something that never happened. The next series of photos show him running through the streets of New York, running away from these cops that are chasing him. Um, Melania Trump screaming at police officers. What's fascinating and creepy here is how convincing these fake images are on first glance. You could imagine someone scrolling through Twitter and immediately retweeting them, which is what happened. And they weren't even as good as the photos that emerged this week. A new photo exploded online. But this time, it was of Pope Francis. And we see Pope Francis wearing this long white, a fluffy jacket. He looks dope. As dope as the Holy Father looked in a Balenciaga puffy coat, this wasn't real either. And it unnerved Emmanuel because she's usually able to spot these fakes easily. That's her job. This wasn't that simple, though. I've been doing this for nearly a decade now, visual verification. So there's always used to be a tell. And up to about a couple weeks ago, with artificial intelligence, the big tell was hands. That's right, hands. When amateur photoshoppers would doctor photos, or even when artificial intelligence programs would try to create photos from scratch, even as of a year ago, the hands always seemed to be embarrassingly bad. They would have six fingers, they would be melted, um, there would be a thumb missing. But recently, AI appears to have conquered hands. The telltale signs of a fake are no longer there. So how are humans going to handle this brave new world? We're not prepared for it. That's Sam Gregory from an organization called The Witness Lab, which is trying to address ways to verify photos and videos, what are supposed to be eyewitness accounts. At this point, he says sharp eyes aren't even enough to spot fakes. You need advanced computing. The New York Times or ABC News has access to these tools, but if you work for a major newspaper in Kenya or a state-level news outlet in the U.S., you may not, right? And that means you're much more vulnerable when someone tries to pass it off. So we need detection tools that are widely available. He's also pressing for more data to be stored in photos that show where they came from, how they were edited over time. And as much as you might hear people say, don't believe everything you see, he's insistent that the onus here should not be on the public. It should be on the groups making these artificial intelligence systems. We're also in the middle of a headlong commercial rush that is completely about the needs of Silicon Valley and ignoring the needs of 
most people across the US and frankly, most people across the world who might say, wait a second, where are the safeguards here? How are you making sure these are not misused? After all, when you have the power to shape someone's sense of reality, that is an awesome responsibility. Even when people find out an image is fake, we've learned it already burns itself into their consciousness. Subconsciously, you might see the Pope differently because of that coat that he never wore. And what's extra important to know here is that the photo of the Pope was not made by some graphic designer. It was made by a construction worker who enjoys tinkering with photos who said he was tripping on mushrooms one night. That's all it took. Earlier, people had to have Photoshop skills to fabricate an image. That's no longer the case. You can now just ask this software, type in a prompt. Let's say, I want to see a corgi in a field in Manhattan, and it will give you that image. Um, you don't have to have any specific tech skills to be able to create these images. The technology is getting much better, much faster, because these photo-generating programs borrow from millions and millions of photos around the internet. Similar to the language program ChatGPT, programs like MidJourney are rapidly learning from their own mistakes. The most important takeaway from this, though, is not that you can't believe your eyes. After all, Sam says, believing nothing can be just as destructive as believing everything. That's what disinformation specialists want, for you to not care what's true anymore. Rather, he says, what we all need right now is better to deciphering tools, and perhaps a less itchy retweet finger. And we're going to post some of these pictures on our Instagram at StartHereABC so you can see what we're talking about. But in the spirit of making this transparent to everyone, we're going to put deep fake on them. Like, that's the thing, is that often these things are shared even when the creators are cool with them being fake, but not necessarily telling anyone as they kind of spread around the internet. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. Exclusive view behind the table. What is happening here? It's just beautiful chaos. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. To be honest, I was thinking about asking him for a foot massage, and then I, I just froze. This is the best, best gig on yeah. TV. And you know, anything can happen. That is what we do here. I'm not going to lie, the chair's a little small for my behind. <laughs> <laughs> the Views Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.